Taking time to rest, time to refresh, no stress To the city point Giving him your best, nothing like the rest Passing every test, you know he's the one, yeah Taking time to rest, time to refresh, no stress To the city point Giving him your best, nothing like the rest Passing every test, you know he's the one, yeah Taking time to rest, time to refresh, no stress To the city point Giving him your best, nothing like the rest Passing every test Thank you, thank you, thank you. You may be seated. Lord, we thank you for another day, another Sunday morning. Thank you for First Sunday. Thank you for the joy and the beauty of fellowship. I pray in the name of Jesus that you will bless our time together in the word, that you will meet us there, that you will speak through me to these, your people, in meaningful ways. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. I am excited to be able to uh, kick off another series. So this month's series is titled God's Son. God's Son. I had some Nas fans that were like, I, I, I hear the Jay-Z, but when we going to do some Nas? And so Nas has his classic album, God's Son. And so what a dope way for us to engage in profiling the life of Jesus Christ, God's Son. Uh, than to do it engaging some themes from that album and also other albums. So here's what this month is going to look like. Today we're going to talk about half man, half amazing. And then next Sunday is one mic. Uh, Easter in poetry and prose. So we're going to have a poet next week, some storytellers next week, and definitely some dope music. And I'm going to do some preaching. And then we got Kingdom State of Mind. Uh, on the third Sunday, and then we got It Is Written on the fourth Sunday. So it's going to be a really cool month. I forgot we got five Sundays, so I got to come up with something else for the fifth Sunday. Life is moving way too fast, but I'm excited about today. Today we're talking about half man, half amazing. Um, Nas says this line in the song Nas is like, and it speaks to me about this dynamic of Jesus Christ being God, but also a human being. He is half man and half amazing. So that's what we're going to talk about. But I'm going to jump into just some bars for a minute, if that's all right. If that's cool with y'all to kind of intro this. So when I think about what Christ is like, right? Nas talks about Nas is like. When I think about what Christ is like, this is what comes to mind. Christ is like breakfast in the morning on a slow day. He's like eggs, toast, and Mariano's OJ. Christ is like that feeling that you get when it's payday. He's like in-person service first Sunday. Christ is like Thanksgiving food at your granny's house. He's like the sweetest word ever to come out your mouth. Christ is like palm tree beaches on a sunny day. He's like a path when I can't figure out no other way. Christ is like a bed to sleep, a home to live. Christ is like a sermon to write, a poem to give. Christ is like miracle worker, God in flesh. Christ is like all the bling, but not impressed. Christ is the one who walked on water He's the one who raised Lazarus to life and Jairus' daughter. 
He's the one who spit clay and gave sight to the blind, co-equal with God since the beginning of time. Christ is like half man, half amazing. And so every April, we dig into a series talking about Jesus, profiling Jesus. And, and not that the rest of the year we don't talk about Jesus, but I tend to preach very thematically throughout the year. My hope is that through the themes, whether we're talking about relationships, whether we're talking about finances, whether we are talking about um, socially conscious Christianity, whatever we happen to be talking about, that you are seeing the weaving of Jesus Christ and the ethics of Christ in it. But, but what I'd like to do in April is stop for a minute and talk specifically, not implicitly, but specifically um, about Jesus Christ. And so I want to start this series off by talking about just sort of the profile of Jesus, who Jesus is being human and also divine. That word divine uh, speaks to Jesus being not God-like, but actually being God. And so I want to talk for a few minutes about this dynamic. And, and the reason I think it's important for us to consider it is because as we'll see as I go into the sermon is when I accept Jesus as human, it makes me realize that Jesus gets me and that Jesus gets the world that I embody, the world that I live in. When I accept Jesus as divine, it makes me realize that Jesus has the power and the qualifications to be able to do the work of saving me, right? And so in essence, I get salvation for my soul when I think about Jesus as divine, but then I get solace for my life, for the trek, for the journey that I'm on day to day when I understand that Jesus is also human. So that's what I want to get into today. The first thing that I want to talk about would be three points to this sermon. The first thing that I want to look at is the amazing Jesus. Say the amazing Jesus. And so to do this, I want to look at the Gospel of John. But before I go there, let me give you just this kind of passage that kind of sums up this whole half man, half amazing thing. Colossians 2 and 9, it says, For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. Once again, for in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. That's Colossians 2 and 9. So I'm going to do a little bit of Bible reading in... Um, in John chapter 1, but first let me tell you a little bit about John. So there are four Gospels, right? There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This is going to be a kind of a teachy sermon. Um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are what are called synoptic Gospels. Uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are synoptic Gospels. John stands apart as something different. And when you read them, you can tell that there's something different. Even from the start, you can tell that there's something different going on with John. Luke and Matthew, they kick off with, like, talking about the birth of Jesus. Mark jumps into the action and the miracles of Jesus. John starts off almost like Genesis, right? The first few words of Genesis are, in the beginning. The first few words of the Gospel of John are, in the beginning, and so John does not start off talking about a cradle in Bethlehem. He does not talk, start off by talking about a pregnant virgin. He does not talk about a, a relationship that is about to break up. He doesn't talk about any of those things. He says, I got to take you all the way back to the beginning. 
He says, in the beginning, because he's establishing the divinity of Jesus, he says, in the beginning was the word. The word for word that he uses is logos in the Greek. He says, in the beginning was the word. And here he is describing, we later learn that he is describing Jesus as the word. He starts off in John chapter 1, verse 1, with in the beginning was the word, or in the beginning the word already existed, the word was with God, and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Something weird happened in that verse. In the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God, like standing next to God, but then the word was God. Standing next to him and and being him at the same time, or being them to be gender neutral. He existed in the beginning. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. So something interesting is going on there. Let's jump down to verse 10. It says, he came into the the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. So that one that was at the beginning, that that is eternal, came into time at a particular point in time. Came into the world, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed in him and accepted him, that's us, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn. Not, a physical re- not with a physical rebirth resulting from human passion or plan, not like what your mama and daddy did, is what the verse says, but a birth that comes from God. Verse 14, so the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Almost done. Verse 15, John testified about him when he shouted to the crowds, This is the one who I was talking about when I said someone is coming after me who is far greater than me because he existed long before me. From his abundance, we have all received one gracious blessing after another. For from the law, for the law was given through Moses rather, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. Last verse, no one has ever seen God, but the unique one who is himself God is near to the father's heart. He has revealed God to us. There's a lot of poetic language that John is using there and double entendres that John is dropping there to communicate this deep truth about Jesus being divine and human at the same time. So there are a few things that happen theologically for us in this passage. I'm going to break them down. Here's what we know from John chapter 1. He says, in the beginning, the word already existed. This establishes... Jesus as eternal. He says, and the word was God. This establishes Jesus as divine. In verse 2, he reinforces the eternality of Jesus. He says he existed in the beginning with God. So here's what we know. Here's what we know from the verses. First thing is Jesus is divine. We know that in verse number 1. Jesus is eternal. We know that from verse number 2. Jesus existed separately from God the Father. We know that because of verses 1 and verse 2. 
Jesus is partly responsible for creation. He says everything that was, was created was created through him. Jesus shows us what God the Father is like. We know that from verse number 18. Jesus offers us rebirth. We know that from verse 13. And Jesus is human. We know that from verse 14. So just in, in those few verses, John gets deeply theological and outlines these things about Jesus. And so it is this Jesus who carries all of these divine attributes who we witness throughout the rest of the Gospel of John doing these things. First thing we see him do is something in John chapter 2. He's at a wedding. And a wedding was not just a, an afternoon affair, but this is a multiple day kind of affair where people travel to be there. Think about it like a destination wedding. It is a destination wedding. Jesus is invited to the wedding. Mary has some kind of major role in this wedding. And in any, in any wedding, you as the host are responsible for making sure that the people have a good time. You do not put open bar on the reception invitation if you don't mean open bar. There's a problem. There is an expectation. And the expectation has not been met. Anybody ever been to a reception and it's an open bar and the line is so long? I would have just paid for the drinks myself rather than having to stand in this long line. And so even though the liquor is free, you are irritated and getting two drinks when it's your turn because you don't want to have to stand in that line again. You're getting doubles when you really just need a single because you don't want to come back to the line. And so imagine your frustration in that situation. Imagine the frustration and the embarrassment when there is no more wine. And by no more wine, I don't mean there's no more wine, but they got cocktails and they got beer. I'm saying that wine is the only liquor on the menu and it ran out. And this is a multiple day affair. So again, think about it like a destination wedding if the resort ran out of wine. I'm not at home. There is no opportunity to just run to the stove and pick up a package. There is no more wine to be had. This is problematic. The DJ is playing the right music. Nobody is participating in the Cupid Shuffle. Nobody wants to get on the floor at all because the wine has run out. The host is embarrassed and, they, and Jesus gets involved with this situation. Jesus gets involved because it's an embarrassment to the people. This couple is in a jam. This is a thing that they will never live down. They will never live this down. And Jesus intervenes in this situation. What does he do? He tells some of the servers, grab those six, those five, six stone water pots from over there in the corner. Go fill them up with water. Somewhere between them filling it up with water and taking, the, taking these jar, these stone water pots to the, to the host, somewhere between that time, Jesus subverted a process. I ain't never made wine. But I do know you do not make it out of just water. 
is water and other things involved. Somehow Jesus subverts ingredients and the fermentation process, and he turned the water into wine. Now, I wasn't there, but I do believe that he did it. And the reason that I know and believe that he did it is because it sounds like Jesus. Because this tends to be the way that Jesus operates with me. He subverts the process. The truth of the matter is, for almost 42 years, he's been subverting the process in my life. Trading in the water of obedience for the wine of blessings. And maybe he hasn't just done it for me. Maybe that is also how he has functioned in your life. Subverting the process. Some of y'all are going to jobs tomorrow morning where the only reason that you are there is because the Lord subverted the process. Other people more qualified or, or it was somebody else's turn or, or you didn't fit the mold or the look or the gender or the color. But you are there because God put you there. God subverted the process. You weren't the smartest. You weren't the quickest. You weren't the best. But for some reason, the favor of God keeps working on your behalf, opening up doors for you. Yeah, he subverts the process. And so this is the Jesus, the one who is divine, who is God, who John talks about in chapter 2. He turned the water into wine in chapter 2. He healed that nobleman's son in chapter 4. This is when that nobleman's son was sick. And he said to Jesus, Jesus, you don't need to trouble yourself to come all the way to my house because let me tell you, Jesus, the way it works for me. I, I'm a man with clout. And when I need to get something done, I, I don't have to go do it. I just give my servants the word and they go do it. And so, Jesus, if you just send the word, I believe that my son will be healed. The word says, John says that at that same hour, his son was healed. This divine Jesus, this amazing Jesus is the one who healed the nobleman's son, the one who in chapter 2 turned the water into wine, but also the one who later in chapter 2 flipped over things in the temple or cleansed the temple. It's there that the, the people are ripping folks off who could not make the long journey with animals to sacrifice. And so they had created a convenient process where instead of bringing an animal all the way from home to sacrifice, you could just buy one at the temple. And so this temple court that had been this outer region, outer area of the temple called the temple courts that had been set aside for the Gentiles to pray had now been converted into a flea market where you could buy animals to sacrifice. Bad, but not too bad. The bad part is that you had to exchange money. They had a little currency exchange set up in the temple courts. And I don't know if you've ever cashed a check at the currency exchange. I know we're looking at some very educated um, uh, middle and upper class people in here, but I have cashed a check at the currency exchange before. 
I didn't have time to wait for the check to clear at the bank. I needed my money right now. But when you cash a check at the currency exchange, you might have a check for $500, but you ain't going to get $500 back. You're going to get about $469.27 back from the currency exchange as a convenience fee for cashing your check. And so they had set up this currency exchange in the temple courts so that you could have temple dollars. Um, almost like Chuck E. Cheese money to be able to buy these animals and you did not get a one-for-one -one exchange and so basically they were ripping people off in the house of the Lord and so Jesus comes through, he takes a cord, he braids it together and just starts swinging the whip, money tables being turned over, animals running all over the place. Jesus effectively says, get the mess out the church. Get, get, get the junk out of the church. This is supposed to be a house of prayer. Get, get all the things out of the way of God reaching people and people reaching God. Get all the stuff out of the way that gets in the way between God and God's people serving. This is that Jesus. This is the Jesus that gave the walking ability to the man with the walking disability. Simply by his word. The one that gave the sight to the man that was blind and the one that fed the multitudes with the two fish and the five loaves. This is that Jesus who is divine, who is God in the flesh. So not only is there a word about the amazing Jesus, but lest I keep you too long, let me tell you secondly about the man Jesus. The man Jesus is the one that was tempted in the wilderness with those same old schemes that Satan always uses. Somebody has summed it up as pride, paper, and power. He has no new tricks. He uses the same ones over and over again. He tempted Jesus with pride and power. He said to him, if you really are who you say you are, throw yourself down. Because God will save you, right? Throw yourself down from this mountain, God will save you. He says, if you bow down and worship me, I'll give you the power over all of these kingdoms. Power. Tempts him with power. Jesus, as a human being, experiences temptations. But Jesus used something interesting to clap back at these temptations that he experienced. He used the word of God. Every time he had to clap back, he came back with some scripture. Let me say to you that you ain't going to have scripture to clap back with if you don't read scripture in the first place. What I love here is that we see that Jesus experiences the temptations that comes along with humanity the same way that we experiences them, that we experience them, but he claps back with the word. Satan still uses the same things, pride, paper, and power. question I have this morning is which one is he using on you? Which ones is he using to tempt you with this week? Because each of us have our thing. Let me encourage you that the way that you fight back against those things is with the word. So before, when you wake up in the morning, before you check your email, before you check your text messages, 
before you check IG, before you watch some funny video on TikTok, give the word a few minutes in your life so you can fight back at all of the schemes that the enemy brings your way. Some of you are going to wake up with the Monday morning scaries. The fear and the anxiety of all the things that could go wrong, of the pressure of all the things that are standing in front of me and ahead of me, fight back against those things with the word of God. Yet Paul calls it in Ephesians the sword of the spirit. And so Jesus was tempted just as we are, but he fought back with the word. And so another thing that I see when I look at the man Jesus is I see fear and anxiety. And I know we in church, we don't like to be honest in church, but if I can just be honest for a minute and not pretend, I get scared sometimes. Anxious sometimes. I'm going to talk to the brothers who feel that they are responsible for families for a minute. It could be a challenge sometimes to think about the what ifs. Economy getting a little tricky. What if? The tech companies are laying off so you can start to feel like, what if? What if if I'm next? Things got a little shaky with the banks a few weeks ago. What, what, What if? And you can start to play in your mind and become anxious about what if I'm not able to provide for my family the way that I like, that I would like to. What what if I can't meet all of the expectations of being protector and provider that I feel like I have been socialized to provide? We can deal with those fears, can deal with those anxieties. Some of us deal with the fear and anxiety of trying to figure out how to show up as mother and spouse an employee or an business owner and and child to an aging parent or caregiver to an aging parent and friend and best friend and sibling and all of the things. How do I do all of these things well? And fear and anxiety can well up in us as we try to do those things. When I see Jesus, I see somebody that sees me because he has also experienced that. Because I see him in the Garden of Gethsemane. When he knows what his life's mission is, when he knows how this is about to play out, but he's a little nervous. And he tells his disciples, I I need like a couple of y'all to come with me and pray. And then he says, wait, y'all stay here. I'm going to go a little bit further. And he goes a little bit further and he gets on his knees and he prays and he says to God, God, I know the plan. I know the plan because I helped hatch the plan with you in the beginning. The divine side was good with the plan, but his human side was struggling with the plan. And so he's like, if if there's any other way that we can figure out how to get this done, Let's do that. And then he's like, now nah, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Your will, not mine. I imagine that he, he, he dusts himself off. He gets himself together. And then he goes back and he prays again, the Bible says. Because he's fearful 
like I'm fearful, like you're fearful. He's anxious the way we get anxious. And he has to go again and he prays that same prayer that he already prayed. The thing he said he was good with, he realized that he wasn't really good with it. These anxious emotions get so bad in them that there's a Latin word for it that I can't pronounce right now, but that happens in his body. When sweat should be coming out of his pores, blood starts coming out of his pores because he's so messed up on the inside. Humanity. I just want to say that I see Jesus there. And in seeing him, I see that he sees us, that he sees our humanity, that he sees our fear, that, that he sees my resolve struggling to overcome the fear emotion. I want to not be afraid, but I can't. I, I want to be able to take this step, but I can't. Something on the inside is keeping me from being able to, to reconcile my mind and my spirit with my emotions. Jesus gets that. Jesus gets that. He knows what it's like to be overwhelmed. And thankfully, we got a Savior who cares. Thankfully, we have a Savior who cares. We got a Jesus that experienced betrayal, that experienced rejection, that experienced estrangement from his family that experienced what it was like to be single, that experienced what it was like to be lonely, that, that knows what it's like to experience being in the body as a human being, Jesus knows. Let me push along and close. Not only do I want to talk about the amazing Jesus, the man Jesus, but thirdly and finally, the Jesus I know. The Jesus I know is not simply the divine Jesus, Neither is he simply the human Jesus, but the Jesus that I know stands creatively and uniquely between the tension of the two. His divinity gave him the power to save me, but his humanity told him all about what he was saving me from. His divinity gave me the ethic of responsibility and righteous living. But his humanity made him know all about how difficult it would be for me to actually live that out day to day. His, div his divinity gave him the ability to be living water. But his humanity makes it so that he understands what it means to be thirsty. And I don't know if that matters to you. I don't know if you know what it is to live thirsty. But I've been in church long enough to know that when I stand up on Sunday morning, that among some of the people that I'm looking out on, some of the people are thirsty. I raised the question this morning, what are you thirsty for? Some of us came here this morning thirsty for peace. A day at the spa could not give it. An evening at the bar could not give it. All day shopping could not do it. And a day of self-care was not able to accomplish it. Somebody here today came here thirsty for peace. And you have looked in all of the places for that peace. 
May I suggest to all of you that came here thirsty for peace that I know somebody who can give that. Perhaps you are protesting, I don't just need a small piece. Preacher, I don't just need some basic peace, but the peace that I need in my life to calm my fears and to calm my worry and to calm my anxiousness is a next level kind of peace. Preacher, do you know where I can get this kind of peace? May I tell you that the one who I'm talking about who gives this peace is the one who one night out on a raging sea when the disciples were being tossed to and fro in the boat by the winds and the wave, waves, seasick from the shaking and panicked, feeling that their death was imminent. These were not people unfamiliar with, the, with navigating the seas. Y'all, these were fishermen. These were people who had been out on that sea before, who knew it in the light and in the darkness. But this day, in these waves, with this wind, they were panicked and fearing for their life. They called out to Jesus, don't you care that we are about to die? Jesus wakes up from his sleep in the bow of the ship, and this Jesus was sleeping peacefully, simply got up and with his words says to the storm, y'all know the words, peace, be still. I want to say to you today that those of you who are battling any kind of storm in your life, those of you who are being tossed back and fro by whatever is robbing you of your peace, I know a Jesus who even the winds and the waves obey. I know a Jesus who is able to speak to any storm that you might be facing in your life. I know a Jesus who can give you peace in the midst of a storm. This Jesus that I know grants me peace. This Jesus that I know grants me forgiveness. This Jesus grants me release from guilt and salvation and assurance that I'm all right with God. Not only does he let me know that I'm all right with God, but he lets me know that God... It's all right with me. Yes, the Jesus that I know gives me purpose to preach this gospel, to replicate his love and to tell his story and to transform people into his followers until they become conformed into his image. And here's the best part about the Jesus that I know that sees me. This is the best part. The Jesus I know sees me, but thanks be to God that one day I get to see him. Do y'all want to be there? Are y'all going to be there? When, when, when we get to see the half man, half amazing. Father, we thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for reminding us of the half man, half amazing Jesus who gives us peace, who sees us, who one day we will get to see. Yes, when we get to lay down all of our troubles and heavy burdens, we get to see him face to face and say thank you. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for your love. 
Thank you for your keeping power. Thank you for sustaining us. Thank you that when we walk through the valley of just the shadow of death, not real death, but just the shadow of it, the specter of what could be, thank you for being there with us, for comforting us. We get to say thank you. Thank you, Lord. I pray you will comfort us all of our days, knowing that you see us, that you get us, and that you are with us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.